Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our speaker this morning, Franklin Graham, has devoted his life to meeting the needs of people around the world. He has an interesting combination, always faithful to the gospel, no matter if he's in a tent somewhere in the Middle East, or in a large church, or on television, and no matter what question he's asked, I find, he gets the conversation around to that person's relationship with Christ, even so much so that it makes some people feel very uncomfortable. I've noticed Larry King and a few others squirm a few times when they have Franklin on. But I appreciate that he's always faithful to the gospel. Uh, Franklin is the eldest son of Billy and Ruth Graham. Uh, Franklin is now the um, president and CEO of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, as well as Samaritan's Purse. Um, He has a very active schedule keeping crusades around the world, as well as the work of Samaritan's Purse. And... He's with us today. So would you please give a warm welcome to Franklin Graham. Thank you. Thank you, Skip. Thank you. It is a privilege to be back with you here in Albuquerque. And I want to say a thank you for each and every shoebox. 21,000. Wow. Thank you. And, you know, people ask me, Franklin, what's, what's the most important thing to put in a box? Oh, there's lots of toys. There's lots of things you can put in. But the greatest is our prayers. If you think 21,000 prayers behind each one of these boxes. Now I'm, now, I'm not saying we put our prayer in the box. How do you do that? But we're praying for the one who's going to get the box. I don't know who's going to get it. God knows. And you think of every child that ends up with a box, and if there's prayer behind that, that, that gift, people praying for that child. Uh, this year, we'll collect about 8 million boxes. And if we have 8 million people praying, we know that God will listen to the prayer of a righteous man. Just one prayer. Can you imagine 8 million people praying? You think God might just do something in a very special way? And what we want to do is, of course, we want to give a gift to the child. We want the child to to be excited, to have fun, and to give them a little hope, let them know that there's a family somewhere else in the world that loves them and cares for them. But most importantly, we want those children to know that there's a God out there that loves them, a God out there that has sent His Son into this world, Jesus Christ, to die for their sins. And if they would, by faith, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that God would forgive them and cleanse them of their sins and invite Him one day to be with Him in heaven. You know, I want the children of the world to know that. I want you to know that. You know, people ask me, Franklin, how did you, how did you come up with this idea? I'm not that smart, okay? <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. Hey, we had a man, this goes back 13 years ago, when the war in Bosnia was taking place. And he said, Franklin, we're, we're, we called from London, and he said, we, we're going to collect some shoeboxes over here to give to kids in refugee camps. Would you like to help us in North America? Oh, sure. This was like August. Be glad to. Well, I forgot all about it. November. He calls, how many shoeboxes have you collected? Oh, boy. Shoeboxes. What's he talking about? Oh, those kids in Bosnia. Yeah. Hey, listen, we're still working on it. <laughs> 
give me two weeks. Okay, I'll call you back in two weeks. I get on the phone. I'm thinking, if I can just get a couple thousand shoeboxes, I'll be happy. So I call one church, just one. And his name was Ross Rhodes, pastor of a large church in Charlotte, North Carolina. I said, Ross, could you please just hold up an empty shoebox in your service on Sunday and ask people to put toys in there for children and um, do it next Sunday or the following Sunday, so two Sundays in a row, and that you would, you would save my neck. Franklin, I'd be glad to. Well, he calls back two weeks later. Hey, Franklin, listen, we've got a problem. What's that? Uh, I need you to come down here and get these shoeboxes. Oh, really? Yeah, he says, you know, they're in the halls, in the foyer, they're out here in the, we've got a gymnasium, they're everywhere. I said, well, how many do you think there are? He said, I don't know, but there's a lot of them, come get them. Well, about 11,000 boxes that first year. So, and from there it has grown from 11,000 the first year. And the second year I called Skip and Greg Laurie. I said, Skip, would you all help us out there in Albuquerque? Oh, Frank, we'll be glad to. And Greg said, I'll be glad to help. And so from the second year of the project, um, this church uh, each year has collected, I think, more shoeboxes than any other church in the country. You all have just done a tremendous job. And I want to thank you uh, for each and every gift. And every gift you say, well, Frank, and you're getting $8 million. Is, how important is my box? Every box. Let me tell you something. You pray, and your, your box goes with, those, with your prayers. God has a very special child for your box. I don't know where that child is. We're going to about a hundred different countries. And you say, but Franklin, how do you give them away? How do you give away eight million anything, much less shoe boxes? We do it through the churches. We collect the boxes through the churches. Why? Because we want the churches praying. And we distribute them through the churches around the world. Why? Because we want the churches there praying and using each box as a tool for evangelism. Now, the secular media... They say, oh, but you're proselytizing. They love to throw that word out, proselytizing. Oh, you're using this to proselytize, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) That's right. You got it. That's exactly what we're doing. We want to tell men and women everywhere about a God that loves them, a God that cares for them, a God who sent His Son down to this earth for our sins. I want the world to know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shouldn't perish, but of everlasting life. You know, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. About the Son of God being the CEO of your life. Now, CEO, I want to talk about that a minute. In the business world, if you're running a company, and you're the head of that company, you're the CEO. Chief Executive Officer is what that stands for. Now, in church circles, we don't use that term so much, okay? Uh, We try to be a little more spiritual. And uh, we don't use things like CEO. But the pastor, the the senior pastor, is basically the CEO. The buck stops on his desk. Uh, Skip is the CEO of the church. Uh, He's the man responsible for the Sunday school and the cleaning of the carpet and the washing of the windows and the vacuuming of the parking, all these things. You know, he... He doesn't do all that, but he's responsible for making sure people do all these things. And uh, he's the CEO. Now, my father, back about 10 years ago, asked if I would be willing to take over the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Now, he said, Franklin, he said, I'm not saying that I'm ready to retire, but when that day comes, will you take over? Will you become the CEO when I decide to retire? But I'm not ready yet. Do you understand? Yet, yet. And I said, Daddy, I got it. Uh, Not yet. 
Um, but about five years ago, he said, Franklin, he said, you know, I'm, 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 I'm tired. I don't want this anymore. Uh, I want you to have all the headaches. Now, I, I want to keep preaching. I'll do what I, what I feel God calling me to do, but you, 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 run the, you run the organization. I said, okay. So I, I, that means I, I get all the headaches now. That's all. Uh, and I'm glad to take the headaches from my father. It's a privilege to do that. But the CEO. Now, who is the CEO of your life? Is Jesus Christ the chief executive officer of your life? Or are you the chief executive officer? You, you would say, well, Franklin, uh, well, of course Jesus is. Okay, Look, we're going to do a little test here to see if he really is. Because I can tell you, in churches today, there are millions upon millions of, of people who call themselves Christians, who say they follow Jesus Christ, but in reality... Jesus Christ is not on the throne of their life. Jesus Christ is not the chief executive officer of their life. They are. And their life is in a mess. And maybe you have come here this morning and maybe your life is in a mess. Maybe it's upside down. You don't know where to go, where to turn. And you, you come to church and you pray, but if you feel like your prayers are hitting that wall and bouncing back. And you don't understand why. And you would like an escape, a way out, but you don't know what to do, where to go. Something's missing in your life. Well, Jesus might not be the CEO of your life. So let's look at it. And I want to look uh, today at the Gospel of Luke. Uh, do you all know what crawfish are? Okay, you know, you go down to the Cajun country, they eat them nasty things. I don't eat them. Uh, but if you ever gone, we, we call them crawdad hunting. Uh, if you ever go crawdad hunting in a creek, you know, those crawfish in the creek, and when you start getting close to them, they start, you know, kind of backing up. And so we're going to back up here in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're going to start in chapter, we're going to start in chapter 14, and then go to chapter 9, and then chapter 5. But we're going to do a little crawfishing here. We're going to take a, a little look. And a good CEO is a good backer-upper. Uh, if you're a good CEO, you know how to back up and uh, start over again. And uh, I want to give us an opportunity now to look at the Word of God and just ask that God would just speak to our hearts. So let's just have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we now look at Your Word, Father, I pray for each man and woman that's here. And if there's anyone here this morning that isn't sure where they stand before Your throne, if they're not sure that their sins are forgiven, if they've never made Jesus Christ the CEO of their life, Father, I pray that this morning that they would do that before they leave. And so, Father, we ask now as we look at your word that you would open up our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, Luke uh, chapter 14. Now, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now we, we look at this. You say, you know, Frank, to be honest with you, I don't really like that passage. Um, it offends me. 
I love my mother and father. I love my husband. I love my wife. I love my children. I'm offended. I've just been offended by Jesus at least saying, I don't understand it. I don't like it. There is a cost. And we're going to look at CEO, okay? The cost. C stands for cost. Just so you can write that down in the margin of your Bible. We're talking about the cost here. What Jesus is saying is he's not, the, the, the translation doesn't mean I, I hate mama and I hate daddy and I hate my brothers and sisters and I just hate everybody that's out there. No, that's not what this is about. It's about you've got to be willing to put Jesus Christ first. He's got to be number one in your life. There's no room for second place. He wants it all. You can't put your husband or your wife in front of Christ. You can't put your, your children in front of Jesus. You can't put your business, your work, your profession in front of your, uh, in your relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to be number one, even to the point of death. Remember a few months ago there was a, a believer in Afghanistan, an Afghan who had come to faith in Christ. And his testimony had gotten out and he got arrested. Afghanistan is a Muslim country. You come to faith in a Muslim country, you convert from Islam to Christianity, they will kill you. Your family will kill you, or the government will kill you. He had gotten arrested, and the government now was getting ready to execute him. And the news story broke. Remember that? And there was an outrage. I mean, we just liberated this country from the Taliban to give them democracy so they can vote. And... What in the world is going on? And well, George Bush got into this, and he called Karzai. <laughs> you ain't going to kill this guy now. Uh, you you, you got to find a way to solve this problem. Well, they said, okay, if you denounce Jesus, we'll set you free. That's all you have to do is just announce him. And you, you won't die. You can go free. You can go back to your family and to your friends. That's all you have to do is just deny him. That's all. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't deny him. He had put Jesus Christ on the throne of his life. He had put Jesus Christ as number one, even over his own life, even to the point of death. He would, he would not deny Jesus. And now the government is not knowing what to do. And finally, I think the Pope or somebody called and they gave him asylum in Italy or somewhere. I don't know where he went. But I, I thought about that. Carry your own cross. You've got to be willing to hate your own life. Yes, you, even your own life. This fellow was willing to give his life. This man was willing to die for his faith. I thought, how many would do that in the churches in America today? How many would go to the point of death? Would they really do that? Well, we say we would, but really, be honest. How many of you would do that? You see, Jesus says... If anyone comes after me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You've got to put Jesus Christ number one. So if you come to faith in Christ, it's going to cost you. Cost. There's a cost. And you know what that cost is? It's 100% of you. Not 99%. There are a lot of people who want to keep a little corner of their life. 
And it may be their business or maybe it's a hobby. You know, that, oh, we'll serve you, Lord. We'll do whatever you want. We'll go. We'll be a missionary. We'll get involved in the church. We'll pray. We'll all these things. We'll teach. But, you know, this is my hobby over here. And, and this just kind of everybody needs their own space. And this, this is kind of mine. You, you got that, God? This is kind of mine. No, it doesn't work that way. If God can't be a part of your hobby, if you can't invite Christ to be a part of your hobby, then He's not Lord of your life. If He can't be number one in your marriage, then you're not going to have much of a marriage. If He can't be number one in your home, you're not going to have much of a home. If He can't be number one in your profession, you're not going to have much of a profession. He's got to be number one. 100%. He does not take second seat. He's not going to just sit equally with you. He's got to have 100% control. And my question to you this morning is, where do you stand? Is Jesus Christ in charge of your life? You see, the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all come short of God's glory. The wages of sin is death. Every last one of us in here is is a sinner. We've all sinned against God. We've all failed Him. And the penalty of sin is death. You're under a death sentence. And the only way that you can be pardoned from your death sentence is to come through Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the only one in all of history to take your sins. Muhammad didn't do that for you. Buddha didn't do that for you. Krishna didn't do it. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ. When He came from heaven and when He shed His blood on the cross and died in your place and in my place, He took our sins to the grave. He died on the cross for our sins and took our sins to the grave and He was buried with our sins. And on the third day, God raised Him. God said, it's enough, it's done, it's finished. Everything needed to save and redeem sinful man has been accomplished and He raised His Son from the grave. Hallelujah. Jesus isn't on the cross. Artists like to depict Jesus as dead, hanging there limp on a cross. He's not on the cross. He's not in the grave. He's not dead. He's alive. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of God. Verse 28 says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will laugh at him, ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build. (laughs) And he wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, underline that, you got a pen, everything, he cannot be my disciple. That's the cost. It's everything. You've got to give it all to Him. And I'm going to give you an opportunity in a few moments. If you're here this morning, now this is serious business, now listen to me. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not given Him everything, I'm going to invite you in a few moments to get up out of your seat and come stand right here in front. Just stand here in front. And when we have all come, I'm going to lead you in a prayer giving you an opportunity to confess your sins to God, to ask for His forgiveness, to invite Christ to come to take charge of everything in your life, to let Him be the Lord of all, for you to surrender all to Him. Okay? You prepare to come. Now I want to look at another. We've seen the cost. What's the cost? 
everything. Listen, I want to hear you all say everything. 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 He wants everything. All right. Now let's look at Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, uh, 57. Now, in the previous passage, we saw the crowd, okay? The crowd. Here they are again. Uh, As they are walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, you say, this is good stuff. Here is somebody who says, I'll follow Jesus. And not only will I follow you, Jesus, but I'll follow you wherever you go. Sounds good, doesn't it? But there's a problem. You see, Jesus had a crowd of people. He was popular. At this point in Jesus' ministry, everybody was following him. Wherever he went, he's like a rock star. I mean, there were hundreds, thousands of people moving wherever Jesus went. He could spit on the ground and take the mud from his spit and put it in a blind man's eyes. He could see. He could stick his finger into a person's ear and they could hear. He would walk up to the dead and the dead would stand in his presence. I mean, everybody wanted to be around Jesus. This is good stuff. And here's a man who yells out from the crowd, Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Well, you know what? Jesus was popular. That was cool to be seen with Jesus. He was healing people. He was feeding people. And Jesus turns to this guy, and look what he says. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, we don't hear another word from this guy. See, this guy probably thought, Jesus got one of those American Express cards. He probably stays, you know, down here at Motel 8 where they leave the light on for you. Or was it Motel 6? I don't know. But, you know, he probably thinks Jesus has got an expense account. And this is good stuff. I want to be, I want to be a part of his group. I, I want to be on his wagon. Man, I mean, look at everybody's looking at him. And, I, and if, if I get close to him, they'll be looking at me. This is cool. And then Jesus says, you know what? The birds have a place to go. The foxes have a place to go. I don't even have a place to lay my head. You want to come follow me? We don't hear another word from this fellow. The Bible doesn't mention him again. He just fades off. Oh, Oh, you don't have that credit card, huh? You don't have that expense account. I see. Well, okay, Jesus. See you later. There are a lot of people who want to follow Jesus as long as he's popular. And you see, there's a cost, and then there are excuses. And he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. <laughs> Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Well, that just offended the guy, didn't it? But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, it's not like the guy's dad had just died and he was laying there on a slab and they're getting ready to bury him. That's not what this is about. What the guy is saying, Jesus, my my father's old and let me go back and take care of him. And when he dies, I'll bury him and then then I'll be ready and I will come follow you. Uh Uh-uh. No, he doesn't want any excuse. He wants everything and he doesn't want any excuses. Hey, Lord, I'll follow you. I don't have a place to lay my head. Oh, you don't? Okay, see you later. Um, Let me go bury my my father. Let the dead bury their own dead. You come and go proclaim the kingdom of God. Guy wouldn't do it. Now here's another, still another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first let me go back 
and say goodbye to my family. That sounds like a good request. Lord, let me just go back and say goodbye, okay? It's just another excuse for another delay, not to put Jesus Christ first in your life. Another excuse. I've had people say to me, Franklin, when I get my education, count on me, I want to... Don't give me this when you get your education. Because when you get your education, then you're going to be in debt. Then you're going to come to me and you say, you know what, Franklin? Well, I've got to pay off this debt. But as soon as I pay off that debt, you count on me. And then you pay off the debt. And then guess what? Well, guess, you know, Franklin, my wife's pregnant. And, and uh, we, you know, we got hospital bills now. But as soon as we get our child raised, we're going to come. Then, then the child gets raised. And then, you know, oh, by the way, uh, I, count on me. I'm coming. But, you know, when my father's old and I've got to, you know, when he's buried... See, there's excuses. There's always something else, okay? He wants everything. He wants 100% of you, and He wants it now. He doesn't want it next week. He doesn't want it next month. He wants it now, today, right now, today. And if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if you haven't done that, if you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, if you're not sure that you have given Him 100% of everything, I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a moment. All right? Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom. I don't know if, if any of you have watched anybody plow with a, a hand plow. Uh, I grew up uh, in the early 50s where we still had people who plowed with mules. Not many, because uh, uh, all the flat land, you could get tractors. But where I lived in western North Carolina, if you're going to plow... That, that mountain land, you had to do it with a mule and a, and a pull plow. And once you put that hand on the plow, you couldn't turn and look back. First of all, your, your rows were going to be crooked because uh, the mule wouldn't pull straight if you weren't watching him. And uh, you're going to make yourself a mess. And Jesus is just using an illustration out of everyday life. You know, if you put your hand to this plow and if you look back, you're not fit for my service. And you come to Christ today. There's no turning back and looking back. You've got to be willing to confess your sins to God. You've got to be willing to repent. And I, when I say repentance, I'm talking about leaving that sinful life. Now, some of you are here in relationships this morning that are not right. Sinful relationships. You've got to be willing to leave that. There are some of you that have been living a life, one thing in the public and another thing at home. It's not right. Some of you have been doing things... That, to your children, to your wives, in your business. God knows your heart. You come to Him today. You've got to give Him everything. That's the cost. Everything. No excuses. But I want you to know that God will forgive you. I don't care what sins you've committed. All of us are guilty of sin. Every last one of us deserve death. I deserve God's punishment. I deserve death. But Jesus Christ died in your place. He died in my place. And if we're willing to receive Him by faith, then God will pardon us. God will forgive us. God will set us free from the power of sin. And you can have a new life and a new beginning. But it's your choice. You're going to have to choose and accept that. And I pray that in just a moment that you'll do that. And I want to look now at chapter 5. And then I'll be through. This is going to get good. You're going to like it. Or you may hate it. We'll see. One day Jesus was standing by the lake Gennesaret, starting in verse 1, chapter 5. Now this is uh, the Sea of Galilee. All right, look at there. There's the crowd again. With people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who are washing their nets. 
he got into one of the boats that belonged to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, there's a crowd of people around him. He needs a little breathing room. So when he put out from shore, it's probably no farther from this pulpit than to the front row, okay? He just got a little bit back so he could see the crowd and not everybody pushing on him, and he taught them. And then when he's through teaching them, we see in verse 4, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, uh, I live on a lake in Alaska in the summertime. I've got a home up there, a little cabin. And uh, now I'm not a great fisherman. I try. Uh, fish are pretty safe. Um, but it's, it's fun trying. It's a game. Okay. But it's shallow for about 30 or 40 yards. When I say shallow, you can walk out for about 10 yards. It's cold. It's glacier water. Up to about your chest. And then it goes down to about... 30 or 40 feet deep, and then it drops off and goes down like a thousand feet. Okay, it is a hole, it's deep. But the fish kind of hang out on that ledge of about 30 or 40 feet. Now, I just suspect there at the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus said, Let's go out into the deep, I don't think he was talking about two miles out to the middle of that lake. I think he was probably just thinking about maybe about a hundred yards out there to where the kind of the shelf and where it begins to drop where the fish hang out. And Simon Peter answered, Master, we have worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the net. (laughs) He wasn't giving an excuse here. Simon Peter was just stating a fact. We fished all night. Hadn't caught nothing. Y'all say that here, but you know, where I live, they say nothing. Uh, we ain't got nothing. Um, we haven't got a thing. No, we haven't caught one fish. We didn't even get a minnow. But because you say so, I love this, underline that. But because you say so, that's what he wants is obedience. See the cost. See. Chapter 14 is the cost. He wants everything. Chapter 9 is the excuses. Oh, I've got to go bury my father. I've got to go say goodbye to my mama. Uh, I'll come follow you. And birds don't have, um, birds got nests, foxes have holes. I don't have a place to lay my head. You don't hear from that guy anymore. All kinds of excuses. Okay? And here in chapter 5, what's he wanting? He's wanting obedience. And Peter gives it to him. I love Peter. He says, we haven't been able to catch a thing all night, but because you say so, by your word, because you speak it, we're going to do it. And let me, now listen here. If you're willing to obey and come to Christ today, to turn your back on your sins, to ask God for forgiveness, and be willing to receive Christ by faith into your heart and to your life, Let me tell you something. God's got a new plan. He's got a new life for you. He's got new opportunities. He's got blessings He wants to pour out into your life. But see, He can't do that right now as long as sin is blocking the way. He can't do it when you haven't given Him 100%. When you're holding back, He can't can't give you His blessing because you're not in obedience. You've got to obey Him. 
Now look what happens after the obedience. Look here. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. The first problem was they had no fish in the nets because they had worked all night and hadn't gotten anything. Now Jesus says, go throw down your nets, and because you say so, we're going to do it. Now they throw their nets in. Now they got a problem. The nets are about to break. So much blessing is coming in on them. Wow! Look at this. This is cool. This is good. It's getting better. Watch this. So they signal to their partners. Now remember, they're not, they're not two miles out here in the middle of the lake. They're probably a couple hundred yards, a hundred yards offshore. They signal, hey guys, over here, look. We need your help now. Quick, hurry. The guys get in there and they start rowing, you know, and paddling, kicking their feet, doing whatever they do. They get the boat out there. Oh, look at you. Yeah, wow. So they help load the fish. They load up one boat, load up the second. Now they got another problem. And, and it says, and they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. The boats were, no, I mean, they went from having no fish to where the nets were about to break. Now they filled both boats and another problem, the boats are sinking. So much blessing that Jesus was about to sink them. <laughs> he couldn't believe it. And then all of a sudden it dawns on Peter. I love him. I love him. Look what he says here. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. He calls him Lord. Are you willing to call Jesus the Lord of your life? And Simon Peter said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. That's right, Peter. You're a sinful man. And each and every one of you here, you're sinful. We're sinners. We're sinners saved by grace. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. All of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life through what? Jesus Christ our Lord. And Peter recognizes and he falls at the knees of Jesus and I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. He recognized who he was. And then the Bible says, For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. Wow. There's a prison down in Louisiana called Angola State Penitentiary, the bloodiest prison in the United States. They got a warden down there by the name of Burl Kane. And uh, I've preached at Angola Prison. And um, Burl Kane is a, is a Christian, the warden. And I asked him, I said, uh, Warden, I said, when a man escapes and, and you have to hunt him, what's that like? Oh, wow. he said, that's a hunt for kings. He said, that's a hunt for royalty. He said, that's the greatest hunt in the world is hunting for a man. I thought, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't have asked him that. <laughs> I said, uh, uh, what do you do when you catch him? I mean, you, you beat him up. What do you do? Oh, no, we don't beat him up. We give him a snicker bar. And we give him a bottle of water. And we ask him, how did you get by us? How did you sneak past us? He said, they're all proud of it. And so they all tell you how they got by you. And, and, and so we don't beat him up. We just give him a bottle of water and a snicker bar. But he, the way he said it's a hunt for kings, 
There's no greater hunt than a manhunt. And I thought about Peter here in this verse. Jesus was taking these fishermen. He said, I'm going to have you into manhunters. You're going to catch men from now on. I bet Peter thought to himself, wow, you kidding me? Man, I can't wait. This is going to be great. And look what they did. So they pulled up their boats on the shore. They left everything and they followed him. I thought about that, those boats he pulled up. Remember this, the boats were so full that the boats were sinking. So much blessing God. Remember they obeyed. This is coming after the obedience. So much blessing. Those boats were full. And God wants to fill your life with blessing. And Peter says, away from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, Peter. I'm going to turn you into a a fisher of men. I want you to come follow me. And they pulled the boats up and they turned their back on those fish. It would have been a very easy to have an excuse now. Lord, you just gave us this beautiful blessing. You don't want us to waste these fish, do you? Why don't we clean them first? Or Lord, why don't we give the fish to the poor? And then we'll come follow you. Or Lord, why don't we sell them and think of the money we can put into your, your, your work, your ministry? That's nice, isn't it? Jesus wants everything. He doesn't want any excuses. And what He wants from you is obedience. He wants to be the CEO of your life. And these guys, they pulled the boats up. And that's the biggest catch they probably ever had in their life. That was more money sitting there than they had ever seen in their life. And those men pull the boats up and they leave those boats and those fish and they go and they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And my question to you this morning, are you following the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you walking in obedience? No excuses here. What's the cost? Everything. No excuses. He wants obedience. He wants to be the CEO of your life. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.